You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and hopefully you can hear us. We are broadcasting live from the quantum realm, so who knows if you're going to get this episode. And with me, as she is every single week, Chris here, have you turned into a talking house? Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any holes, so, you know, you're just hearing the reverberations. Oh. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> so, well, I'm glad that reverberations are uh, something that are understandable uh, to- Yeah, you drink the ooze. You know, it's people that- Yeah, exactly. So, hopefully, everybody's <laughs> drinking the ooze so they can hear us. And, of course, we're serving that up here at the 602 Club uh, as we're in the quantum realm. But before we dive into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumadium, we just want to thank everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh Thank you guys for tuning into the show. Uh, and if uh, you've not, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts, and that way you'll get this show as well as our bonus shows as soon as they drop. Uh, you can also find our ultra-exclusive bonus episodes over on Patreon. That's the VIP room here in the 602 Club. Uh, and to do that, you need to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and support us, and then you'll be able to listen to our bonus episodes. We'd really appreciate that. It costs a lot to put this network together, and we can't do it without listeners just like you. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. Of course, we would love it if you would follow us and interact with us over on Instagram and Twitter. On Twitter, it's at the 602 Club, and on Instagram, it's at the 602 Club TFM. We've got the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also find us, of course, uh, at the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can talk to listeners from all over the world there. And you've got the website at trek.fm where you can see all of the podcasts that are happening. Uh, You can contact us by email over there at the contact section as well. So, so many different places to catch up with us. But Christy, um, I was really uh, interested with just coming into this movie. Uh, Obviously, this takes place after Endgame and Ant-Man having a big part of, you know, saving the universe. And I liked the way that for Scott, we were dealing with the idea of this price of fame for him Mm. because I, I really felt like his hero status and kind of his change in life has is gone to his head a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, he was a criminal before, like, and you know, people didn't really know who he was, and now he walks down the street and everybody knows who he is. And uh, that was a that was an interesting place for this character to be to go from somebody that nobody would want to know who they are because they're a criminal to being somebody who, like, everybody knows who you are. And I, I appreciated the way this movie kind of dove into that subject a little bit and um, gave us a Scott who, you know, um, he's still a really nice guy, but there, there's some things about him, I think, in this, in this uh, that also aren't so great. Yeah, with him, I did feel that this was a perfect place to pick up because obviously he's coming off of both the high and the terrible nature of Endgame, um, the high of feeling the gratitude that he was able to help save the world, of course, but then mm-hmm. obviously losing all of the people that we lost as well being the the worst part. So I think that he's got some complicated emotions and they do a good job with starting it off with he's trying to stay positive and he at least does feel better for being part of the solution. Um, but that obviously it's gone a little too far at this point as, as far as his hubris, I guess we'll call it. Um, I think you, you see it best mm-hmm. at the dinner table when he says, I only helped save the world and all the families like, and right. we never hear about it. Right. 
Yeah. And he's written a book no, that, and you know, he's just yes. he's definitely feeling himself right now and maybe a little too much. Mhm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, you know, that it's it's not as no everything about this is a bad thing, right? I I think, you know, obviously Scott uh, feels a little bit more confidence in himself, you know, because of what he's been able to accomplish and you know, he has been able to turn his life around from from somebody who was a criminal. And you know, that that's a great story, but I thought that the way that this plays so well into the story is that it makes sense as to why Scott would kind of have lost the drive to help people Mm -hmm. because he's now in the position of not only seeing what he can lose, right? He lost all that time with his daughter. Uh, You know, he lost a lot of time with other people that he loves. And he, I think he's very aware emotionally as to the cost of all of that. And, is trying to hold on very tightly to the things that he has now. And and in some ways that's causing friction, of course, you know, not only with um, internally for himself, but it's definitely obviously calling causing friction for him and his daughter who has seen his example of, you know, helping people. And, and, you know, she now longs to be able to help people in the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that they made her want to follow in his footsteps. And I get totally that she knows he wouldn't want her to because of trying to keep her safe. So it does also make sense as to why she would keep it a secret from him that she's been making a suit and sending signals to the quantum realm and things like that. But I will also play devil's advocate for a minute and say I thought it was a little unfair of her to give him such a hard time saying that he hasn't done anything since, because I also think about the depth of the trauma that he's been through. It would make sense Mm -hmm. that he feels a little lost as well. That, you know, after everything, it's like, a good way to put it. Where do I even go from here? And maybe also just, I'd like to just have a normal day. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And I feel like she's kind of beating him up about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that's a really good point. And and I would say, you know, when we're thinking about this specifically just for the, the character of Scott, it is one of the things in which I wish the movie did kind of spend a little bit more time with. Because I think understanding the ramifications that this has on Scott's psyche is is big right Mm -hmm. i mean you would be terrified that something would happen to your daughter and and take away what little time you've had together um you know you 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 would be in some ways worried that at any moment something could happen to take away all the good things that are happening to you and so trying to hold on to that and just enjoy it and and kind of push anything else out you know i think makes uh, a lot of sense Mm -hmm. Um, as to why Scott is the way he is here at the beginning of the film. And I think it is one of the things that the movie references, obviously, here at the beginning. But I wouldn't say that the movie does a great job of kind of bringing that all the way to um, a good conclusion by the end. Um, And mainly just because I, I feel like part of the the struggle I have with the movie in general is just that it seems like it's always throwing something at you new and it's not really giving the, the, the characters the time I think to spend by having moments together really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, it just feels like there's one thing thrown at you after another, and there's never a, a really good quiet moment for us to be able to, or a few of them, which I think would be really helpful, especially since what they're positing here for Scott makes complete sense coming out of where he's been. But I don't know if we actually do the thing uh, that the show needs to do 
to adequately get Scott from this place to the place we kind of want to bring him uh, by the end um, in a way that's, I would say, emotionally satisfying as an audience member. Yeah, I would say I'm with you on that, too. I It's interesting because in Wakanda Forever, I felt like they really did a great job of giving the big moments a beat to sink in and letting you sit in those feelings. Whereas here, it feels the complete opposite. Like you just said, that they're bypassing the big moments where you really need a minute to let it sink in. And that mm-hmm. would give the whole movie more depth. Um, I mean, also a perfect example of um, Janet Van Dyne coming back from and then having to go back again to the quantum realm. Right. And they right. keep saying, yeah. you won't ever talk about it. Why won't you just let us know what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Let's get yeah. more into that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that, that's an excellent point. I I think, you know, um, one of the things that the the movie. I think the movie has. Maybe it's this, maybe it's focus, right? Like you, you, as you're talking, I'm thinking about. Um, we want to deal more with the emotional struggles of Scott. We want to deal with the emotional struggles of, of Janet uh, and their trauma that they've been through and how all of this is really affecting them as characters. And and I think the movie just in many ways bypasses so much of that. Um, and part of that is that we're so focused and, and enamored with, I think, you know, uh, the, the craziness that's going on around us of the quantum realm and just outlandish nature of it all with this kind of like pop you know 1950s b movie quantum realm sci-fi thing and instead of i think really focusing on the thing that maybe this is a good question i i feel like that the heart of the ant-man films has always been this story between a father and his daughter and that family nature, right? This the, the whole series has been about family. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie, instead of having a story that really focuses on the family, it focuses on the spectacle. Mm-hmm. And we lose the thing that's made the Ant-Man movies special, which is their focus on the family. That was more of a statement, but I agree with you. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I, but because, yeah, I, I, and I'm, okay, so I'm glad that you agree, um, because, you know, when I was, I, the movie itself, I felt like the best moments were honestly be- between father and daughter. Yeah. Uh, you know, as he's teaching her to use the suit, he's kind of realizing who she is and, you know, um, and then him modeling self-sacrifice to her and working to repair the bond that's kind of been, you know, strained between them like all of that stuff to me is the best part of the movie and it's the part of the movie that connects most with i think what made those other ant-man movies special which is heart Mm -hmm. well yeah i mean it it goes back to two families because it's also about hank pym and hope and then trying to finally get her mother and his wife back um and then they meet scott and he becomes part of their story and it's also always been about scott fighting whether or not he wants to continue down that road of being a criminal or be a good dad and get a real job and spend some quality time with the most important person in his life which is his daughter and so i think that that's what you also needed more than anything else to carry on into this movie and that we get a little bit more toward the end of the movie, but it should have been throughout. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent right because you know, as you were mentioning with with Hope and her father, Hank, you know, them also dealing with Janet being back and and the 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 you know the trauma that they've all dealt with, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's another family struggle there, and and another huge family. Uh, 
situation that I, I feel like we just never really dig into. And and again, I, I feel like uh, instead of focusing on the family, we're focused on the spectacle and we're taking away kind of the thing that's really made Ant-Man special, which has really been about the heart of the matter and, and, you know, really, uh, you know, all of the craziness and outlandishness that happens in the Ant-Man movies is in some ways tangential to the character stories that they've been telling with the Ant-Man movies. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's been about the Pims and it's been about, um, you know, Scott Lang and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, we, we've kind of lost that a little bit in this movie. And um, I, I did want to, I do have a question for you. This is definitely a okay. question. Uh, Catherine Newton is uh, playing the daughter here uh, in this film. Uh, they, they did make a switch, um, interestingly enough, from the actress who played her in um, Endgame. And so I, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like that did she work as as um his daughter? Do you feel like um it was a good switch? It's interesting because I accepted it and I think she was pretty good, but I think that she for some reason does come across a little bit more angsty than the previous actress they had play his daughter. And I think that might also right. be some yeah. of that heart we're missing is that maybe Rudd and the previous actress just had better connection. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And maybe she just was a little bit, had a little bit more of a softness to her, I guess. Did you feel that way? I mean, I think she was, I think she was fine in the film. Uh, you know, I didn't have really any issues with her. But, you know, when I think about the fact that, you know, Cassie spent a lot of time living alone because of the snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just feel like that, that her character would be maybe a little bit more cynical um, and, and maybe a little bit more hard edged. Uh, as a because of what she's been through mm-hmm. and um so i i think there there's something that i i would have yeah i i, I feel like it just i don't know i think she's okay in the role i don't think that she does anything wrong um i just feel like uh, again kind of connecting back to what we were just talking about with the, the idea of the heart of the matter. I feel like that there's something just kind of missing in, and it's maybe not even necessarily her fault. It's just that, you know, it feels like the focus of the story of her wanting to be a hero and her dad wanting to keep her safe and everything seems so basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels like the storyline for them would be much deeper for everything that they've been through. So again, I think maybe that the movie just feels like it's lacking the depth and the heart that I'm used to with the Ant-Man films, especially when it comes to the theme of family. And I don't know if, if Catherine Newton has anything really to do with that necessarily, as opposed to me just kind of um, wanting the writing for the film to have more in line with that and yeah so i didn't i i don't think that that's really a thing um in the sense of like it's i don't know if it's really her Mm -hmm. um so i i don't i I hate to like blame an actress uh or an actor for um a film problem when i really kind of feel like more of this comes down to the writing and the focus of the story so yeah because you know if that had been different, maybe she would have pulled that off, but I don't know because that's not what we got. And so it seems like the problem is actually bigger than her to me. No, so. that's actually a good point because when I think about her character as a whole, I do realize part of my problem is just that we don't get an explanation as to why she decides to follow in her father's footsteps and make a suit and Mm-hmm. signal the quantum realm and all of that and i think that's an important piece that would have really helped to give their storyline yeah. more weight 
So yeah, it's a good. Point. Yeah, I, I I think you are right that it it's more the writing than that. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a really good way to put it. Uh, and so, well, the the movie is you know obviously playing on uh, the idea of Ant Man, and of course you know Ant Man is very much about standing up for the little guy. Um, just read his book, <laughs> and um. I th- I thought it was you know the the whole idea of standing up to tyranny to those that would take away our freedoms and subjugate us um is is fits very well I think within the the structure of the Ant-Man story because you know Ant-Man being the smallest avenger you know literally and I think um that was uh and and especially standing up to a villain in Kang who you know uh is one of the 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 biggest of the MCU and and I thought it was interesting too you know that you know I don't know if you saw if you've seen like the meme of like the slave masters like whipping the slaves and then like all bowed down and then all the slaves have stand stood up in the next scene and um, you know, they're so much more than the masters. And I really felt like, especially with all the ants that we get here, you know, helping them take over uh, in the end, that we were really playing with that theme, which fits, I think, very well with, um, you know, this story and with Ant-Man. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think that's the way that they tied it all together. And in one of the bigger strengths of the movie, I think, is that that story fits so well with what Scott is all about. And that although he wasn't originally and Hank got him into this, that he realized that his values are standing up for the people that may not feel the courage to stand up for themselves. And that he's going to mm. fight to the death to protect people in need. You know, I mean, that the, these are great things about him that, we've seen in characters like Captain America, for example, that he's had to build up over time. And so I I do think that it worked so well for him. And then also was kind of funny tying in with Hank and talking to the ants and having them run in and take over everything because, you know, in a sense, King is right that he's talking about them like they're nothing. Like you talk to ants, you know, and to a giant, like a human, ants would seem like nothing but when you have hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of ants they're not nothing anymore right right and i feel like that's the whole point it's saying you know even though they're small when there's many there's power Hmm. right yeah i mean it's such an interesting thing uh because of course you know the way the movie presents everything uh you do have the idea of um you know uh, a, a tyrannical leader uh, trying to to subjugate people in this way. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, of course, the movie itself is, is not nuanced enough to, to have a discussion about, um, you know, mob rule um, and the, the danger of a mob in mm-hmm. general. So we're not going to get into that because the, the movie uh, has doesn't have a place for that kind of conversation. But... You know, I think that this, like you said, this movie does is so much about the idea of like, yeah, we have um, these people that are being oppressed in this way. And therefore, um, you know, the realization that um, the the many can can take out the few doing the subjugation is is a very interesting. Um, and I. I did have a question on this too because I think this is this is kind of a strange thing that they do with the film in that they have uh as the ants go through the quantum realm uh they end up with the abil- they they like live thousands of years and create this society to which takes the society that they had already been building and makes it even more impressive um, and so I, I did want to ask you how you felt about that because um, it uh, I I don't know how I felt about that it 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 almost seemed like 
too plot pointy. Um, but I don't know. Uh, how did you feel about it? I felt the same. Like it was made up and thrown in to solve a problem rather than letting the how do we say it again? Letting the problem dictate the story, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, okay. no, I, I absolutely get what you're trying to say. I, I think, I think there really is uh, something to that. Uh, that because I, I thought it was somewhat fun, and it definitely has the feeling of you know, a, a a crazy science fiction movie where anything can happen. But there was also a part of me that just felt a little bit like, okay, we need a solution to destroy, to beat Kang in this, this, and there's no way that we can do it alone. And so how do we create an army of unstoppable ants, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and, okay, well, we'll just... And it, and it's just one of those things where it felt like with the quantum realm, we were with the quantum realm, we can blame it on the quantum realm and just use that as our um, basically get out of jail free card um, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that like, oh, you just you just say, oh, yeah, the quantum realm and, and everybody's like, oh. Okay, that makes sense. Right. We didn't um, need the whole rest of the explanation. Yeah. That basically it could just be yep. that the ant farm got sucked into the quantum realm along with the rest of the family. And now mm-hmm. because it's the quantum realm, they're giant or there's millions or, you know, something like that. Yep. And then that's it. You don't need to keep going and be like, and then they created this whole society. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. So, um, well, okay, we've seen Kang before because he was in Loki. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, we know from from that show that he is definitely obsessed with control. And he knows how everything is going to end. And, therefore, he th- believes that he's the only one who can save us. Um now, what we learn in this movie, of course, too, is that he is uh, not the only Kang. There are many Kangs, and they all control their own little universes, basically, uh, and timelines that they have control over. And he's been exiled. He was exiled to the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, man, I, I feel like, you know, of course, he's another, uh, he's another Marvel villain with a god-sized ego. Um, and so I I felt like, to me, one, he seems like a pretty terrifying villain. Um, and so what did you end up thinking of him and um, just uh, Jonathan Majors, uh, you know, as this version of Kang? So I'll definitely add first that I was not familiar with Kang from the comics. I just didn't get that into the comics to know about him. So Loki and then this were my first introductions to him as a character. Um, I will say, though, I felt sometimes with the story here for him that there were also some gaps that it could have really helped if they were explained better. Uh, Because, for example, when it's said first that he was exiled. It's just by a, they exiled me and never really explained until the very end. And I get that, but you could give us something. And then honestly, for me, there were times that I felt like Jonathan Majors either didn't have the writing to back him up or possibly just felt a little wooden to me, but I was looking for more, reason um to believe him and just felt that it wasn't as big of of a threat as thanos for example Hmm. interesting so Hmm. um i just didn't know if you it didn't seem like you felt the same way but i i don't feel like he's more terrifying than thanos because of Mm -hmm. those reasons but i wanted him to be hmm 
that that does really interest me because I feel like he's a better villain than Thanos mm. and scarier. And the reason that is is because you know Thanos just wanted to destroy um, half the the population of the universe, mm-hmm. um, whereas with Kang, he's literally erased entire timelines from existence. Mm-hmm. So and you and and universal streams, you know, like and so to me that's way more terrifying because not only would it everything in this timeline that we know would cease to exist completely. It's not just half of it, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And to me that's really scary. And um I think the the, the other thing that I also found him to be terrifying is that, you know, with and like Thanos, he is completely convinced that he's right, which makes him terrifying. Mm -hmm. So what he wants is terrifying, and he has the conviction uh, with to back that up that makes him, I think, even more terrifying. Um, And so uh, to me... I think he's a great villain for, you know, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe to jump off of with Thanos. Um and I think I think what was also kind of terrifying from him is that, you know, Thanos felt like a character who's resolved in his actions. Um and he's doing them because he believes he has to. But it's He's not, like, happy about it, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas Kang kind of revels, at least this Kang, kind of revels in his destruction of timelines. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. To me, that was just so much scarier. So I just felt like, I guess for me, it was Major's performance because I felt like Michelle Pfeiffer's look on her face when she learned what he did and planned to do made it more scary mm. than he did for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I get what you mean. That's really interesting. I, I wanted it to be. Like, I agree with what you're saying about the reasons why Kang mm-hmm. as a character would be terrifying. I just didn't yeah. believe it. Sure. No, I... I, I 100%. And I, I mean... And that's... I think that's actually a really sad thing is that it doesn't work for you um, because, um, you know, obviously, if it doesn't work, uh, that's a big problem because that's the movie. And so, uh, man, goodness, I... I, That's... that's, That is kind of frustrating too because in in all honesty, for me, Kang is, is legitimately the best part of the film. (laughs) <laughs> Two, and i said I, he I was thought. the worst um, for me <laughs> yeah so but i i mean I, this is one of those mm-hmm. things right this is this is where um you know uh it, it's it's the perspective and how it fit you know hits a specific person mm-hmm. so no i can't blame you at all you know if if it doesn't work for you it doesn't work for you you know and 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 that's not a good thing because, you know, moving forward, this is the future of the MCU. This is where the MCU is going. And so, uh, you know, that the setup here and in and, and, and many ways, the main reason this movie actually exists is for him. And so, you know, if that's not working for you, that's again, that's just not a good thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's it, what's interesting then, too. For you, it's going to be something that the MCU has to overcome mm-hmm. as we move forward, right, with him as a villain. So that that's the other thing that's uh, that they've got to deal with. So it is it is just interesting to me, you know, with him as a villain, you know, we just have another uh, a character in the MCU that's a villain that has this desire for ultimate control, mm-hmm. right? And... Um, and it's a, it's definitely a thing that all of the MCU villains kind of have this godlike problem of they want to be in control 
um, and it leads them to be kind of horrible, terrible, rotten, no good people, you know? And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, so another thing about the film that I, I, I was kind of struck by as I was watching it, this is a movie where secrets of characters really hurt the whole and specifically the fact that Janet has kept from her family the story of what happened to her because I guess she thinks it's too dangerous for them to know. Um, But by not telling them, it directly leads to everything that happens, which is, you know, okay. Maybe maybe we should stop keeping secrets from each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a perfect thing to talk about because, I mean, we've got, like we mentioned earlier, Scott's daughter keeping secrets from him that she's been working on the suit and the Quantum Realm satellite with Hank and Hope. And then we've got Janet who never tells any of them about her past and what happened there. And maybe it legitimately is because she wants to live in the moment and not think about that and all of the terrible things she must have gone through. But it would have also really helped in case something ever happened that she just prepared them ahead of time. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It does lead to everything that happens because then her granddaughter doesn't realize the danger of signaling the quantum realm. And then they end up there. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, and not just her, her granddaughter, but her husband. Yeah. Her own daughter. uh, Don't understand this. That it's a two way signal. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I thought that that was such a strange thing for, for the movie to do. And it definitely is something that, happens in lots of of stories right but i felt like this one it just was so blatant that this this whole situation happens because you're afraid of telling people about what happened to you and by doing so it then leads to what happens to everybody and therefore you know it it creates this weird cycle and so yeah that that really stood out to me in the film um we because this is the third ant-man movie and in all honesty you know we don't really know exactly if uh and where this character will continue um and you know this this these characters in the mcu what they have plans for for them in the future uh and so this this does uh that thing where it tries to kind of tie the trilogy together in a lot of ways and so how did you feel about bringing Darren back uh, from the first movie uh, and turning him into Modoc? I felt like it really was kind of unnecessary and leaned too much into the joke. As you've kind of said, in general, you felt that Marvel did a lot when they didn't need to. I think that this was a situation where it was funny sometimes, but then there were times where I'm just sitting there in the theater going, Really, you spent more time on the stupid joke with him than you did on the relationships that really matter. I mean, I'm thinking specifically about the line of, Darren, you don't have to be a dick anymore. And he's like, I'm not a dick. Really? It was a lame joke. Yeah, I laughed, but it was kind of a pity laugh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's that's a great way to put it. (laughs) Uh, That any time I maybe even chuckled, that maybe anytime I even chuckled, it was probably a pity chuckle. Um, and I, I think um, that I, I think that the the idea of using the character and the creation of the character for this is not a terrible idea. Right. I think the execution is the problem, and I think it really uh, falls off here um, because it doesn't it it just doesn't work very well. I don't think uh, in the end. And I think you nailed it when you said the idea that this is 
it's all just used as a joke instead of there really being anything serious or serious repercussions for the the characters, right? You know, we're not really dealing with the the fallout of, you know, that first movie and Darren being banished to the quantum realm. It's just a joke. And that makes it frustrating and I think less interesting. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, uh, to kind of move on to the real reason I think it, the other big reason I think it doesn't work is that the effects for MODOK are terrible. Yeah. Uh, it just, it never looks, I mean, uh, what it would look like to have a, just a big head anyway like that, but this just, it looks so jarring and ridiculous that it never works. And that really, I think, also ruins the ability for that character to, to have anything substantial or interesting to do. So it's the writing and the effect itself, which the character is all in effect, mm-hmm. just never works. Yep, you hit the nail on the head with that. The The effect looks really bad. It also looks nothing like the original actor, which doesn't help for you to make that connection of it's the same guy that has a bone to pick. He's back. It doesn't forge that together. And then they add the whole ridiculousness of him having like a baby body and yeah. the way that he dies and then the joke. It's it just everything is like, He's so not a threat. He didn't even need to be in this. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we feel the same. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, which, you know, does lead me to asking the question about the effects for the rest of of the the film. Because obviously this entire movie takes place basically in the quantum realm. And you're creating, I mean, everything's a blue screen here. Uh, or, you know, most likely uh, probably some volume work as well. And so does it work? Do you feel like they do a good job in, in creating all of these places that, you know, oh, the places you will go? I think with the scenery, it worked. However, I think with, obviously with MODOK, with the um, other characters that they had, the Pims and the Langs interact with, like I'm talking about the slug man with no holes and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't anywhere near as good as you would like it to be. And as good as some of the other scenery, like I'm thinking of when they first, the Pims are in the, um, the forest that's like mushrooms and jellyfish and stuff that actually looked really cool. But as far as the other effect work on characters, it was, it was bad. And I don't know why. And very much leaned into the joke. Yeah, I. this is... So, when the... After seeing Avatar Way of Water and then seeing the effect, uh, the trailers for this, I thought to myself, wow, this might be a, a movie that would be worth seeing in 3D. And then they were offering it in IMAX 3D. And so I had bought a ticket uh, to see that on Saturday. Um, and which would be the second time to see the movie. And seeing the movie on Friday, I felt like the the problem with the effects here is that it, there was just this real lack of depth or feel that you're actually in the place mm-hmm. that you're supposed to be. Like, you know, I, I think that's obviously the beauty of what we talked about with both Avatar films is that it's all so much of it's fake, right? It's just made in a computer. Mm-hmm. But it's so consistent and so well done. You feel like you're there. And this movie needed to feel like that because you're in this quantum realm where none of it's real. All of it's fake. And you need to feel like everything is vibrant and alive and like that you're there, man. Um, But I never really felt like that. You know, I always felt like you know we're on some sort of volume set or that there's just blue screen surrounding everybody and and nothing's really there and Mm -hmm. i just i wasn't captivated by much of it i i didn't really love the look of a lot of it and um yeah like you said the new beings there 
none of them captured my attention or, or thought were that interesting. It, it all just it felt like being in a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah. But less interesting. Yeah. Uh, there was one character I thought was cool, and that was the guy that had the giant flashlight for a head. <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, they looked, you know, the snail man reminded me of Hotel Transylvania. Oh, yeah. Similar yeah. kind of effect work. And that's not good when you're trying to do a Marvel movie. Yeah, it's not. Um, I, I So we obviously knew from the trailers coming in and uh, this movie kind of has, a, I would say, an extended cameo with Bill Murray as Lord Krylar. Um, how did how did you feel about him being in the film? Did you feel like he added anything to the movie or... I'm really interested uh, about that because obviously he's a big part of the trailer in the sense they make a point to, oh, it's Bill Murray. Um, so Yeah, I wanted him to have more to do, I guess. It was a bummer that he, it's made such a big deal that he's in it and then he not only dies quickly, which feels like it's unnecessary to be more than a cameo then. And it kind of feels like it put a bad taste in my mouth, having him make a turn from initially being introduced as like leader of the rebellion. Now that Janet's gone and then it's, Oh, actually he decided to cave to Kang too. And he's turning you in. It just made me sad. Mm hmm. Yeah. I think you said that so well mm -hmm. that it, 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 it feels like he's really underutilized, honestly, in the movie. Uh, it, it, it feels more like a stunt uh, casting thing than it actually meaning anything. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to be Bill Murray yeah. in any way, shape, or form. And so, uh, you know, it could have been anybody else, honestly. Anybody could have played this role. And he didn't bring anything to it that, you know felt special and that's kind of frustrating when you're watching a movie that has bill murray in it like this you would hope that okay there's a reason we're casting him and mm -hmm. um i just don't think um i don't think it it really worked so that's that's frustrating And if anything it was a little creepy when they were talking about a woman having needs yeah <laughs> but at least hey you know i gotta give it to him uh, they're both, uh, I, I, you know, so many times in movies, you know, we, we just don't have, uh, these, um, characters where they're, uh, anywhere close in age, right? But Bill Murray and, 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 uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, so close in age. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I was like, Hey, that's actually nice to see. Um, so that part didn't, you know, that part was nice at least, um, so I've got a big question for you before we get to, to our ratings here, because this is something that I came out of this movie thinking. This movie here truly is the it's beginning of phase five and it's setting up where we're going next. Right. All of phase five and six are are dedicated uh, in many ways to to this whole multiversal problem and Kang and all of that kind of stuff. But my question became, should this movie have come out? in phase four and maybe not long after Loki. Hmm. I mean, it certainly would make more sense timeline wise and not feel like such a huge gap from when we finished watching Loki to now. I mean, literally in, you know, our time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess I still feel like you need a lot of the other, trauma that if you needed to get to this point with ant-man as well so no i mean for me i would say it probably is fine where it is but would make sense possibly coming sooner to loki mm -hmm. but did you end up feeling that it should well so i just felt like you know phase four is such a bumbling rambling incoherent mess mm -hmm. in the sense that it's not doing a really good job of of transitioning away from you know the infinity saga to what's coming next mm -hmm. and you know the one thing that really did that was loki it it helped kind of 
okay, give us an understanding of what's coming, right? And then on top of that, you had uh, the, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home, Mm -hmm. uh, which helped uh, crack that open a little bit more. But to me, I just felt like this movie would have been so much better if it had been in phase four and maybe a few, uh, you know, projects after Loki because I think it would have helped set the stage much more clearly for just what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. uh, with the MCU. Uh, Because I think this is the first time which you really feel like you have an answer. Okay, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, and I I think, yeah, uh, you know, we've already had... uh, Kevin Feige come out and talk about the idea that they are going to be uh, changing the way that they do things. Um, They're going to be kind of pulling back on projects. They're not going to be putting out as many projects. I think they learned from phase four that trying to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks is not necessarily the best way to do Mm -hmm. things. And I think this movie would have benefited by being in phase four, being closer to Loki and people would have felt so much more invested in what's happening mm-hmm. um, rather than kind of languishing in, in a phase four that kind of left you wondering most of the time, okay, what is this? Ha-? Because the problem is, is the, the MCU has trained us to think about the whole right instead of the parts. Uh, and if it doesn't feel like it's really fitting into the hole, then you're like, okay, I just like, what's the point of this, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a big curse for the MCU, um, in, in this, that, in that sense. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot then for things to stand outside of the MCU in the sense of like, oh, I could just watch this movie and enjoy this movie without having to have, you know, 45 different things in my brain, um, project wise to make this make sense Mm -hmm. and so yeah i think there's a big part of this where this movie because it kind of lacks the heart and and the soul of what made ant-man special this becomes more of a stepping stone film and therefore uh the step stone should have come much earlier i think to to make it I think it might have actually made the movie a little bit better if it came earlier just because it it would have been, oh, I get it. This movie is giving us where we're going. And now, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's almost too late for its own good and then it not doing its own thing well um, in the sense of servicing the characters of Ant-Man and all that it hurts where it is in the timeline. So It could be the same situation as... Um black widow you know we needed a black widow back when back, thor yes, came out 100 and it's like too little too late exactly <laughs> exactly no i that is a perfect example it is a perfect example mm-hmm. as uh, as to how much timeline means yeah. so no 100 percent agree with you there chrissy uh, with everything that we've talked about i am fascinated to see what you're going to rate ant-man and the wasp quantumania so I I think that you and I obviously can have a good debate about what mattered to us and what didn't in this movie. And I know obviously we we disagree on Kang and that was my biggest setback with this. I think that they redeemed themselves for me a little bit toward the end, like I said, with the family connection being a little bit better. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the scene where Cassie finally puts on the suit and he and Cassie are fighting together. Um I think, though, that overall it leans into the joke too much and focuses way too much on, like you said, the spectacle of it than the character story, which is so essential for Ant-Man in particular, the way it was for Captain America, for example. And it ends up being something that I don't know if I would go back and watch again, Um, or at least if I did, it wouldn't be the first one I would go for, for sure. So... I'm kind of right in the middle and give it a two and a half out of five um, flashlight men 
because there was so much more I wanted for it. And I was excited to see what mm-hmm. was coming. And like you said as well, now I'm kind of concerned about how I'm going to like what's coming next yeah. since I was disappointed with the villain. Yeah, I, I understand 100%. Um, I think it it's very interesting for me because I came out of the movie thinking, oh, maybe that's like a three and a half out of five. And the more I've thought about it in our conversation, I'm going to be 100% right with you. It is 2.5 out of five. I think there's some interesting things to like here. I think there's some good things to like here. But I think the the movie fails to do what it should be caring about most doing, which is giving us a third Ant-Man film. And I think it's, and I've told a lot of people this, it's just missing something. Yeah. And I think what it's missing is the Ant-Man-ness, which had a very, you know, Peyton Reed had created a, a lot like uh, the Guardians films, their own feel. Yeah. And that own feel was something that um, was Ant-Man, where, uh, you know, the Guardians have the Guardians feel. And that this movie is lacking that in too many ways. And I think, you know, it, which is a disservice then to setting up this major villain for what's coming. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that helps that. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, it makes me wonder, you know, uh, I know that the rate, the reviews for this movie weren't great. The, uh, the ratings for fans were better, but still not great. And, uh, I think Marvel could possibly just have a problem on their hands. Um, I think that there's a, the, the issue may be that Marvel is just becoming too bloated for its own good. And people are just kind of getting tired, uh, of Marvel. Mm Mm-hmm. And that could be a real issue, especially if you're just not creating spectacles and films and characters to which people truly can't wait to go see and really gravitate towards the moment they're on screen. And I just don't think that this one has that. So, um, Christy, I'm really excited, though, to see what you are going to be recommending to everybody this week in our recommendation section. So I'm bringing back something I know I've recommended once before, but because there's a new season out, I wanted to remind everyone, if you're not watching Wu-Tang and American Saga on Hulu, you should be. Because for one, I think even if you're not a fan currently, it'll get you into their music. If you can respect the poetry and actually the geek culture that goes into their lyrics, um, For example, one of the lines from one of their songs is, I'm coming in like your neighborhood Spider-Man, just saying. Um, So I highly recommend checking out the show Wu-Tang and American Saga. Um, Obviously, it's a fictional retelling of their story. So the actors are not the actual guys from the group. And also because ODB passed away, um, so he wouldn't be able to. But it's really cool. And they also do a great job of using visual storytelling where some of the episodes even are meant to be more like a dream sequence than a an shot for shot actual time telling of the story. So yeah, really think that you should check it out if you haven't. Very cool. Uh, well, I'm also going to recommend something to everybody that I uh, have been watching as well. And, um, you know, this show, we don't talk about Star Trek. Uh, we have the rest of the network for that. But I'm going to recommend everybody they go check out uh, Star Trek Picard Season 3. It just began uh, as we're recording this last week. Mm-hmm. And the second episode will be coming out this week. Uh, I loved the first episode so far. Uh, we're covering it, of course, uh, we're on the Artificial Tango. So I hope people check that out. But uh, it has made me so excited to have a Star Trek back, I, I think, uh Terry Metalis is just going a great job of, of creating something that feels like it it picks up the mantle from the Star Trek that you know we knew um, from Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, Voyager, Enterprise, and has really run with that. And so I'm loving it. So I hope people will check it out. Uh, but Christy, if people want to see you know what else you've got going on, where would they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter at Bespin Bell. I probably need to go on my Letterboxd and rate some more movies. Um, and you can find me, of course, on Facebook in the Babel Conference. 
And then when I'm not here, you can check me out on my show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. But what about you? Well, you could find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero. Please interact with me there. Would love to catch up with you. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network doing a bunch of shows. I did mention the Artificial Tango, which we're talking about Star Trek Picard Season 3 now, so hope you'll check that out. Saddle Up, about Strange New Worlds. The Orb, about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5, about Star Trek Enterprise. And Literary Treks, about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Uh, and then over on the Nerd Party Network, two shows. One I did with Drea Kaufman. It's completed. It's called Owl Post. Talked about every chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then the great John Mills and I talk about Star Wars each and every week on Aggressive Negotiations. But thank you so much, as always, for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.